Hey everyone, welcome to this week's chapter recap of our Bible Discovery TV Bible reading. So this week we are recapping Numbers 28 to Deuteronomy 14. If you don't know, my name is Corey and I'm here with my husband, Matt Law. Hey, how you doing? And every week we <laughs> are trying to get you caught up on your Bible reading yeah. if you fall behind or just test your memory. I know a lot of you do keep up with your reading, but you just want to see if you can remember the different chapters, which I think is awesome. This yeah. is a good way to study. All right. So Numbers 28 to Deuteronomy 14. Let's jump right in. Numbers chapter 28 is all about the offerings that Israel had to give to God, the regular offerings. So we learned that there were daily offerings that were required at the tabernacle, and this will transfer over later into the temple of Jerusalem, but we're not there yet. So this is still the tent tabernacle. So we've got, there was a morning and evening sacrifice that was required. We have a weekly sacrifice that was called the Sabbath offering. There was a monthly sacrifice, and then there, of course, there's yearly ones as well. So the Passover sacrifice at the festival and at the Feast of Weeks, we learn about that again in Numbers chapter 28. Uh, Feast of Weeks is also called Feast of Harvest or Pentecost, depending on the translation of your Bible. Numbers chapter 29 continues on talking about these feasts. So we've got the Feast of Trumpets, we've got the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles all in there, all the feasts in these first two chapters. Okay, Numbers chapter 30. This is all about vows to God. But it's really interesting because it goes into um, a gender issue that was common at the time that this was written. Now, not so much now, but definitely in the time and the culture that this was uh, written, there were some really interesting legal gender issues that you could get into. So we learn uh, that both men and women could and should make vows to God. But for the women specifically, if their father or their husband prevented them from making a vow that they wanted to God, they were off the hook from that vow. So if they make a vow in the tabernacle and then their father or their husband hears about it and is like, no way you're not doing that, then they're off the hook. But if there was like any sort of funny business or anything like that. So if initially their husband or their father is indifferent about the vow or they're supporting the vow, but then they change their minds, it's the husband or the father who's guilty before God, not the woman who made the vow. So um, this section specifically is dealing with women who still lived at home uh, or about a woman who was married. Uh, it releases them from their vows, right? Mm. If, if they're essentially their legal guardian forbids them from it because um, in this culture and in this society, uh, husbands and fathers were the legal authority over their wives or over right. their daughters. So a woman could get herself in a tricky situation where God says, yes, make vows to me. You're allowed to make vows to me. But what happens when their legal authority steps in and can cut off their funding, right? If it's a financial offering, right. their husband or their father could come in and go, nope, we're not doing that. And it would put her in a bind then. So this is a protection uh, for those women from God. Right. Um, <laughs> Also, we learn in this chapter that widows and divorced women were treated the same as men in this area. So they didn't have someone who was legally responsible for them. They were legally responsible for themselves. So what that meant is that their vows had to be kept. If their vows were broken, it was on them. Right. And that, that's huge because the equality of, of the least advantaged yes. in society is something like unheard of. Yes. Before times. God, yeah, right. they were all 
equal in that way, equally right. responsible for the vows that they made right. before God. It's amazing. Which is important. Uh, we, I mean, we know from elsewhere in the scripture that women in Israel could own property, they could buy and sell, they could own businesses, and they could make vows to God. So the, this was, especially for the ancient world, a remarkably um, egalitarian society. Yeah. Uh, but there were still roles right. and there it's That's important. Yeah. You can't great. you can't get away from it. But it's yeah. interesting to see how God provides protection mm -hmm. and provides responsibility for all parties involved. I think mm -hmm. that's a really interesting thing. It is. Okay. Numbers chapter 31. So we're moving back into um, more of the narrative of the wilderness wandering time period because we're in between coming out of the Exodus in Egypt and going into the promised land. We're in between those two time periods. So we learn in chapter 31 that God has Moses fight the Midianites as his last mission before his death because God is going to cause Moses's life to come to an end. He's not really going to execute him, but he's pretty old. He's not going to be able to make it into the promised land. So we learned that um, the armed men of Israel, as well as the priest Phineas and uh, the tabernacle articles and silver trumpets, they all go into battle. We learn that during this battle, uh, Balaam, the prophet Balaam from back in Numbers chapter 22, mm -hmm. he died in this battle. And we learned that all the men of Midian and their wives and sons were killed, but the daughters were left alive. Now, this is probably because widows were seen to carry on their husband's name through the first child born after the husband's death. This was a rule in Israel. So in order to expunge, to, to get rid of the Midianites, as an evil nation, right. their widows also died because if they didn't, their first child would carry the name of their father mm -hmm. and the inheritance of their father. The young girls, meaning those who were unmarried, were allowed to live because they didn't have those attachments. And we learn uh, later in Deuteronomy, there are rules about this. These young women, they couldn't just do, Israel couldn't just do anything they wanted with them. They had to be treated with dignity. And if they were going to be married by an Israelite man, they had to be married as a legitimate wife uh, with legal protection. They mm -hmm. weren't allowed to just be concubines or sex slaves or anything horrible like mm -hmm. that. Um, but we're going to read about that later in Deuteronomy. Right. Okay. Numbers chapter 32, uh, we learned that the Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh, so these are tribes of Israel, requested and are given the territory that the Israelites have defeated on the eastern side of the Jordan River. So they're kind of, they're alongside the promised land right now, but they haven't gone into the promised land. They're on the other side of the Jordan River. Uh, and so they get that territory as part of Israel now. So their job at this point, build up the city so that they can leave their wives and children there in a safe place while those tribes go over into the promised land with the rest of the Israelites to complete the conquest. All right. Good? Yeah. Okay. Numbers chapter 33. This is a travel itinerary of Israel's journey from Egypt to just outside of Canaan. So everywhere they stopped, uh, they're across the Jordan River, uh, right from Jericho. And they get this mandate here. Um, when you go over into Canaan, into the promised land, drive out the people, destroy the carved images, 
and cast idols. So carved images would be made, idols made out of wood and cast idols would be made out of metal, probably bronze and demolish the Canaanites high places that exist. So it's about cleansing the land from idolatry. Um, And I also just want to quickly address, I always get, when we get to Numbers chapter 33, I always get these questions. How, why don't we know the exact route of the Exodus if this exact itinerary is given to us in Numbers chapter 33? And the answer is that many, most of those place names have been lost to time. Right. It's really difficult to track, not all of them, but it's really difficult to track exactly where they were. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Names change over time. Unfortunately. Yeah. Toronto was called York. It's yeah. Like names just change. Yeah, right. Yes. And there are markers, but uh, we can get into that later. Right. Cool. <laughs> also to make note here is that what's interesting about this mm-hmm. is that an ancient day's walk or yes. on, by foot or by Calvary from like uh, from Goshen, which is Egypt area, to yep. Canaan is... 27 to 47 kilometers, which is roughly 11 to 20 days, like conservatively yeah. walk. And then they were still in the wilderness for 40 years after that. Mm-hmm. So that is, it's like they're yes. right on the precipice for 40 years. This is kind of like circling there. And that's, uh, that's something divine. Uh, that's kind of. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. they, at any point they could have tried to go back in, but they knew right. better after trying to, you know, after rejecting God's plan the first time. That's right. They were just waiting. It was that judgment on Israel, on that generation that came out of Egypt. You know, the fighting men, you didn't want to go into the promised land. And so now you're not going to. Right. It's going to be your children who yeah. go in. Plus Joshua and Caleb, the old guys. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty awesome to be Joshua and Caleb. Yeah. I mean, not all of it, but <laughs> they'd get to see a lot yeah. is what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I know. I agree. <laughs> I agree. They've seen everything. Yes. Okay, Numbers chapter 34. This just basically gives us the boundaries of what should be considered the promised land or Israel. Uh, And we learned that 12 men were appointed to decide the land allotments by casting lots. So which tribe is going to get which section of land in the promised land? Uh, Numbers chapter 35, just two more chapters here of Numbers. Um, We learn about all the different cities in the promised land that were going to be given to the Levites. Uh, so regular Levitical towns where the Levites could live because they're not going to get a chunk of land. You're not going to go to, you know, the, the the land of the tribe of Levi, even though you can go to the land of the tribe of Judah or Benjamin or what have you. Um, they just had towns kind of spread around. So they got the town and the pasture land around it so they could raise animals. And we are, were told that they were given 42 towns. Now, six... Of those 42 towns were cities of refuge, which are so interesting. Um, Basically, uh, they were places where someone who murdered someone by accident, so killed someone accidentally, not intentionally, Mm -hmm. they could flee to a city of refuge and live there. And no one could attempt to take their life as justification. Right. So uh, we also get some murder laws here uh, that murderers uh, were to be put to death only on the testimony of two or more witnesses. So there had to be strong evidence against them, um, but also that if you knew that someone, if they were a confirmed murderer, you were not allowed to accept money or some form of payment Mm -hmm. so that they would continue to live. Um, 
you also were not allowed to accept ransom in exchange for the release of someone who had fled to a city of refuge. Right. So if you were living in a city of refuge, you couldn't pay your way out right. of the situation. So it's just this money for blood yeah. was not a thing that God was okay with Israel doing. Right. If human blood has been spilled, it's a very serious crime. You can't just pay your way out of it. Right. All right. Uh, Numbers chapter 36. This is concern over the daughters of Zelephahad uh, inheriting land. So, uh, you know, we've read about the daughters of Zelephahad before. Um, and basically, Zelephahad didn't have any sons. He only had daughters. And so his daughters go to Moses and God and they say, like, our father's name is going to disappear unless you allow us to inherit land as women. And so they 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 made rules that daughters can also inherit land. Uh, but the concern was, all right, well, if the daughters of Zelephahad then marry into a different tribe, right. their Zelephahad's inheritance of land will go to a different tribe of Israel and it's going to mess up the map of Israel. So they had to marry within their own tribe which was vast. Yeah. So they didn't have to marry a close relative. <laughs> it right. didn't have to be weird. Yeah. They weren't allowed. So, <laughs> Okay. Deuteronomy. We're in Deuteronomy now. There we go. There we go. These are the words. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter one. This is Deuteronomy as a whole is a retelling of the law. It's, it's the law of God interpreted for the generation of Israelites who will be going into the promised land because the first giving of the law was given at Mount Sinai, and it was for that generation yes. who ended up dying in the wilderness right. because they refused to yeah. go into the promised land. So this is the law interpreted for that generation. So there, it's more, there's a very practical focus. When you get in the land, here's what you need to do. Right. But it's also much more personal. It's like the sermons of Moses as opposed to, and much more pastoral, I would say, than the other than the other laws. Yeah. And actually it's, it's one of the most it's one of the most quoted books of the New Testament. Yes. For that reason, I believe. But yeah, yeah, definitely. And that makes sense too, because Moses isn't going to go with them right. into the promised land. So he's he's organizing this law in a very pastoral way, in a way that they will best understand, that right. that it's going to help them establish their, their new society. Mm -hmm. Or at least that's the idea. We're gonna see if they do it well. <laughs> but <laughs> Okay, so, 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 in chapter one, Moses kind of gives them a rundown here uh, where, you know, God told us to leave Mount Sinai. I appointed judges over you. Um, we learned that, you know, it, it's, it's this recap for us. Deuteronomy chapter one is a recap from Kadesh Barnea. They sent 11 spies into the land, but the Israelites rebelled against God. You didn't accept your punishment. You tried to go anyway. It didn't go well for you. And now it's this next generation. Right. Right. So it's, it's this recap for us of what happened. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter two, we hear about the 38 years in the wilderness after the failure to follow God into Canaan is described. Mm. We learn about all this. Um, we learned that they Israel the Israelites were not allowed to take over or even harass, like militarily yeah. harass, uh, many of the nations that they were traveling through and around. So Edom is mentioned, Moab is mentioned, and the Ammonites are mentioned. Um, and there's some really interesting historical tidbits that are put into the text here as well um, about 
how those nations like Edom and Moab and Ammon, um, they also drove large and terrible people out of the territory that they were now occupying right. and they were now living in. So there's this comparison between these pagan nations and Israel. They did that, so leave them alone because you're going to have to do the same thing to inherit mm. your promised land. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. And here too, what's interesting, we kind of get the battle here, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah we get a big battle here. And this is kind of the beginning, more so in, obviously, Joshua's the big conquest, but we got to get a feeling for the conquest that's come, about to come here. Right. So the, the Israelites defeat Sihon, the Amorite king that's of Heshbon. Right. Not to be confusing. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, Sihon. And this is part of God's judgment. God is using Israel as a tool of judgment here. Yeah. Because if we, if we look back, this is actually prophesied in Genesis 15. Verses, I'm going to read it, verses 13 to sure. 16. Mm-hmm. Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go out to your ancestors in peace and get buried at a good old age. He's speaking to Abraham. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So long story short is that you're, you're going to be slaves in Egypt. You're going to come back. Yeah. Right? You're going to come back with possessions, which they do from mm-hmm. Egypt. But um, he's also waiting for the Amorites and the people of Canaan to repent. Mm-hmm. Literally 400 years, you have time to repent, and it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So then God uses them as a tool of judgment against uh, the Canaanite people who are doing yes. terrible things like child sacrifice yeah. and terrible idolatry, right? Uh, uh, and this it gets quoted in uh, Joshua and in Deuteronomy. Yeah. So uh, that is a precursor to kind of understanding what's going on here. It's not just like, you know, go around and destroy these guys. This is God is specifically using Israel as a tool of judgment against the heinous evil crimes like child sacrifice Mm -hmm. and like uh, cult prostitution and all these other terrible things that were happening, right? And there was even more things that, that we know archaeology that aren't listed in the Bible Mm -hmm. that makes it worse. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that would be my two cents there. Yeah, and and you know this is a this is a really brutal time right. in biblical history, and I don't know any Christian who likes this. Like, right. I don't like this. I don't like that this happened. I don't think God likes that this happened. I mean, it's it's judgment and it, and it's brutal, um, but it does make sense. Like, a lot of people I've heard people say. I know we don't have tons of time to talk about it, but um, I've heard a lot of people talk about how it's not fair that God used humans to bring his judgment against other humans. And one thing that I would say to that is we're going to, as we're reading through these last few few chapters of the week uh, here, up to Deuteronomy chapter 14, we're going to see over and over again, God say something very terrifying to Israel. He's going to say, I'm going to paraphrase, but we're going to see him say over and over again, and if you do these same things, I will judge you in this way. So he has the Israelites doling out punishment, knowing full well that the exact same thing is going to happen to them if yes. they follow these practices. So this is a very, this would be a very brutal and vivid image, hopefully being seared in Israel's cultural memory so that they won't become evil. And it's actually exactly what does happen. Yeah. God ends up using Babylon, Persia, and 
yeah. other nations, Gentile nations, as a yeah. tool of judgment against them yeah. for their evil behaviors, very similar to what happened in Canaan. Yeah. And we also have to look at the purpose. Like God was creating Israel as a nation because of his plan of salvation for humanity. Yes. So there is a greater purpose for humanity as well. Yeah. And note here, too, is it's not like this is Israel as a culture, like, defeating, you know, other cultures here. And yeah. this using God as propaganda, specifically in Numbers 33, verses uh, 55 to 56. God says, don't think yourself as self-righteous and think that this you're getting this land because you deserve it. You don't, right? Yeah. He's yeah. like, this is my land. I Like, this, everything here, I made a promise to your forefathers, Abraham, right? And I'm doing this because it's my land. He had a bigger purpose in mind. Yep. So he even advises them that it's like, if this is Israeli propaganda, like ancient propaganda, it's like the worst kind. It's not great. It's not great because yeah. he's basically saying, you don't deserve this land, right? This is my land mm-hmm. and you're in it. Um, so all these things to keep in mind here as we start getting more, moving forward towards the conquest. Yeah. Uh, knowing that there's there's a spiritual battle as well as a physical one, mm-hmm. whereas people just like to keep it physical alone. Yeah. Um, but there's something much deeper and much more rich that's happening here. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy to read, but... Um, God is sharing his authority with humanity, and this is the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Let's jet through the next few chapters. We've got Deuteronomy chapter 3. So they've just, uh, it's a retelling of how they defeated Sihon at the end of chapter 2. And now in chapter 3, it's how they defeated Og, the king of Bashan, and his territory. Now, the purpose of these retellings might be to rally the Israelites for conquest. Basically, like, you've you've defeated terrible enemies before. You can do it again with my help, mm-hmm. right? Because they're, again, they're getting ready to go into the promised land, which would have been a very terrifying. We know it was a very terrifying thing for mm-hmm. everyone. Yeah. Okay. The land was divided between Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh on that east side of the Jordan River. And Moses commissions Joshua to lead because he... Uh, like we said before, he's not going to be allowed to go into the promised land himself. So that all happens in chapter three. Deuteronomy chapter four uh, is all about how the Israelites need to carefully follow the law of God when they're in Canaan. Uh, you know, don't make idols because God didn't show you his form. God's formless, so don't make forms of him. And it's just this, this treaty on how not to fall into false religion or Mm. false worship of God, Mm. which was the priority here. Um, Also, again, in Deuteronomy chapter four, if they do these things, they will be driven from the land, just like the Canaanites were driven from the land. Uh, But God lets them know, and Moses lets them know, if you seek him, meaning God, you will find him if you seek him with your whole soul. Mm. So there's that hope in there too. There's so there's only one God. Acknowledge it and it's going to go well with you. If you don't acknowledge it, if you fall into these sinful ways, it's not going to go well. Right. Deuteronomy chapter 5, there's a retelling of the 10 commandments and also the story of how the Israelites first reacted in fear when they met God at Mount Sinai. So that's all in Deuteronomy chapter 5. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is, is this the one I wanted you to read? No? This is the one I wanted to read? You want to read. <laughs> yeah. My notes were not specific <laughs> enough, guys. Um, I wanted to read to you Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 to 12. Uh, it says this. It's, it's 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So again, that reinforcement, remember God, teach God, and in your prosperity, do not forget God. Right. Here's that, there's that theme again. Right. If you become like Canaan, you will be judged right. like Canaan. And that Shema, which is the Deuteronomy 6, right? 6, 5 mm-hmm. and on, that is like considered the most important command, not only by Christ, but even, even during ancient Israel, people were debating about what is the most important commandments. Yeah. It was among them. And it's, you'll see it rehashed in different ways over and over again throughout Deuteronomy. Uh, it's always being revisited because it's fundamental to what we just read in Deuteronomy 5 mm-hmm. to the uh, Ten Commandments. But it's also fundamental to other things about what it means to actually worship. And to keep in mind here, just kind of fast forward to the end. When you read in Deuteronomy 6, 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. When you consider what this means in in uh, towards the end of time, Revelation versus, uh, chapter 13, verse, verses six, 16 to 17, Keep this in mind. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their hands and on their foreheads so they cannot buy or sell unless they had the mark. Long story short is that there's this comparison mm-hmm. in Revelation to the Shema, to this most important commandment that's being contrasted yeah. uh, during the tribulation times. It's being replaced. It's being replaced. Yeah. Worship of God is being replaced by a God that looks like Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. So that's what makes it so interesting. It looks like Christ, but it's not Christ. But it has the same um, uh, earmarks like the Shema built into it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a very scary thing to think about. That requires a lot of discernment for what that means. It's not just a physical thing. It's all, all that you are. Right, as a yeah, sign the things of, that you think, the things that you do, your forehead, your that's hand, right. that's your what hand, symbolizes, your your right? Heart, right? Yeah, your all, authority symbolized by your right hand. That's right. So mm-hmm. it's all it's all connected there. And so that's an important thing to keep in mind, I think, as we move forward. But I thought that was an interesting connection to kind of bring right Yeah, back it's definitely, definitely directly related. Yeah. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 7. These are the rules for the conquest, and they are extremely brutal. Um, you know, there's one, make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. And this is talking about the people in the land of Canaan. Um, it is also worth noting, because it's easy just to look at these rules and be like, oh, there was never any exceptions to the rules. But we know that there absolutely were exceptions to these rules. We know that people could leave the Canaanites and actually join the Israelites. We see Rahab doing this. Um, later on, you know, at, in the time period of the judges, we see Ruth doing this. So this could be a thing. Also, people could run away. They could flee the land uh, in the face of Israel. And Israel was not to pursue them mm-hmm. out of the land of Israel. Um, yes. 
So brutal, <laughs> but things to keep in mind. Right, yeah, it's important. Deuteronomy chapter 8, this continues on about how God has been faithful to the Israelites in the wilderness in terms of providing for their physical needs. Um, And again, there's don't forget God in your prosperity. So we, when we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 8, we realize that the commands and the laws and the decrees of God given to Israel in this law were a way to not forget the Lord. These were ways. This law was how they were to remember God because it made them drastically different than the surrounding cultures. Um, And and a lot of these rules were extremely inconvenient and they were inconvenient so that it was easier to remember that they were doing it for God. It interrupted their daily lives. This is what you wanted me to read. Okay, Okay, there we go. Okay, you wanted me to read uh, Deuteronomy 8, 10 to 14, Mm -hmm. and I'll skip forward and go to 17 to 19. I'll include it all in one big batch. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest... When you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. And, you, and notice that it's not you will, it's you forget. It's, it's happened. Yeah. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Now, when you think about this, in comparison to what we just read to the mark of the beast, you can't buy or sell. Mm -hmm. This is, is, is materialism and money and just falling into the pit of having a good, comfortable life. You can see how those things just work together. Yep. They're just integrated in a way that you get comfortable. Oh, like I need this. I need that. Well, I'll just get this sign. I'll get this thing on my forehead, right? It's not physical terms, but in terms of like spiritual terms. Yeah. And so you can- Making s- compromises because it's easier. Making compromises because it's easier. And yeah. especially, it's like, this is a warning for us today. We live in a time where it's like, everyone's a prince, especially in the West, right? In the, in the, in the Western hemisphere. No other time in history does everyone have running water, have heat in their house. Like this, we have like, human rights. We have human rights. This is like <laughs> yeah. we are like the most it's pretty amazing people in all of history. Only princes, I know, in history had a life like this. Yeah. And the average person, on, on like even the low social status, has access to that. Mm-hmm. So it's like we have to be cautious and aware that we can fall into this comfort trap of complacency uh, and laziness and slothfulness. Um, through materialism and money. Yeah. And I think that's something to be aware about, especially in light of the the mark of the beast uh, that's to come, that that replicates, um, the worship of simulates, God. simulates, sorry, not replicates, but simulates the worship of God yeah. through something that looks like Christ. And that's really important, when we, especially in, in a really politically charged world today. That's a really important thing to keep in mind. Anyways. 
I think my rant is done. Okay, Deuteronomy <laughs> chapter nine. Uh, this is is the 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 talk basically that Moses gives the Israelites. Uh, remember right now that God is going to give you Canaan not because of your own righteousness and, and integrity, but because of the evil of the nations that live there right now. He gives them this anti pep talk that's like you're not that great. He calls them stiff-necked people, right? <laughs> yeah. Remember your moral failings, and he reminds them of the other the disasters in the wilderness, like the golden calf incident. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter ten continues the story uh, mo uh, of the golden calf incident. Uh, Moses makes new tablets in the Ark of the Covenant to hold those tablets. Uh, there's a summary, a really cool summary, in verses twelve to twenty of what the Israelites need to do. But I wanted to read to you quickly verses 17 to 20, because this solidifies for us that God's conquest to purge Canaan, if we needed more solidification, is not racial. Mm. It's not about racial cleansing. It is moral. Uh, we read in verse 17, it says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. So treat people who aren't of Israel right. well because you know what it's well, like to be foreigners in a foreign land. Yeah, it can't even be about race. Like they're supposed to offer peace treaties before they go into war, mm -hmm. and which some people, even they were deceived, will find out later on. Yeah, but some people. That's I, outside of the conquest. That, that's yeah. outside of the conquest. Yeah. But beside, this, despite that, is that like the, the two things to keep in mind here that this is a moral, it was over immorality and idolatry were the two main things that God was coming against. I'll read some verses here. We already kind of passed by these, but Deuteronomy 12, 31. For every abominable, th abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done, they, the Canaanites, mm -hmm. for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Mm -hmm. And then we la learn later on in Joshua 6, 26, at the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations, like at the gates or at the, at the, at the you know, the buildings. And at the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. In other words, they're just literally killing their children. They have no care for their children whatsoever. Mm -hmm. They're just tools of power. Yeah. Uh, you have children uh, for some sort of powerful gain. But also, too, you know, you kind of mentioned this. We learn out in Deuteronomy 12 again uh, about the religious motivations here is idolatry. So you shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars and dash it in pieces, their their pillars, and burn their ashiram with fire, their ashiram poles or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, you shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. So these people are worshiping demons, as we find out in Deuteronomy 32. They're, find, they're worshiping demons uh, to get power. And God has given them 400 years to repent no repentance and so judgment's coming and i you know when you hear the kind of heinous things today you wouldn't you know most people would stand up and want to help or do something about it so 
Mm-hmm. I'm done again. That's, <laughs> that's okay, okay, let's yeah. blitz through the last few yeah. chapters of, of uh, our recap today. Sure. So Deuteronomy chapter 11, this is all about how the promised land is going to be really great. Uh, it It's self-irrigated. There's lots of water in it. It's not like Egypt where uh, they had to focus a lot on the Nile River and a lot on irrigation. But there's a warning in there again, be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. And then the Lord's anger will burn against you. Make sure to teach the ways of God to your children. These are the two main warnings that are in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 12, this is all about how Israel was supposed to centralize worship in order to minimize false worship. So have one place the tabernacle to be and do your sacrifices there and your festivals there. God will choose a place for that sanctuary. Only offer burnt offerings at the sanctuary. There's also some housekeeping in there where, where there's a rule that you can slaughter and eat meat anywhere because then they're like, okay, wait, can we kill any animals to eat or can we not? You can slaughter. They could slaughter and eat meat in any of the towns wherever they wanted, but they were not allowed to eat the blood. Blood Life was in the blood and life belonged to God. And that was just how it worked. Okay. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, we read about the seriousness of the crime of worshiping other gods. Uh, We learned about, you know, false prophets needing to be put to death, um, idolatry or apostasy leading to death. Um, Even if the leader who's involved in the idolatry or the apostasy is someone in your family, Um, or as a whole town of people, Israel is supposed to stand against evil and get rid of it. Don't tolerate it. And if it's a whole town involved in it, um, the rule is decimate the town, like like tear down its walls, tear down its buildings, and never rebuild it again as a sign that there was idolatry there. So serious stuff. And then the last chapter that we're going to recap today is Deuteronomy chapter 14. These are specific practices that were common at the time, but were not allowed for Israel. So mourning for someone uh, via cutting yourself or shaving the the front area of your head. Uh, There was dietary laws for Israel, what not to eat. And they had the positive rule of tithes. So they had to bring and give tithes or a portion of their produce every three years uh, into their own city so that that store of food could, it was essentially charity. People who were poor or starving could eat from that. Mm -hmm. And that way, every three years, it was replenished and there would be a lot of food for everyone to eat. Cool. Yeah. And we're done. And we're done. we're done. So there we go. Okay, let us know any comments or questions down in the comments below. I hope you have a really good week and are excited to continue moving through Deuteronomy later. See ya. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.